In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Welcome, everybody, to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. My guest today, we're going, we're, we're switching gears here. We're going to talk some hunting and uh, some, some exotic animals. Uh, so for those people, you know, I know we're all getting ramped up for fishing right now here in the upper Midwest, waiting for the opener, all that kind of stuff. Um but kind of for those guys that are more geared towards hunting and big game hunting, this episode is going to be for you. I found it insanely interesting. Um, just the, just talking hunting is awesome, obviously. But down there in New Mexico, where this guy is from, um, they got you know your what you would expect to find down there: elk, pronghorn, mule deer. Uh, you those kind of game animals but also they got these exotics down there and one of the main things that he hunts for and guides for is like barbary sheep or you might they you've also heard them called Audad, and he goes they call them Audad in texas but they refer to them as barbary sheep in new mexico i don't know why but that's just they have different words same animal but they also have ibex down there now and even oryx so um, we do start off talking fishing though, because he also guides fly fishing down there. So we kind of get rolling on that and then go into the hunting and the exotics and sounds awesome. Like this is an affordable hunt. If anybody has been looking to do something different, an exotic hunt, if you will, like, um, this is very doable. Um, very doable. In fact, I need to put this on my to-do list. Um, get out there backcountry wall tent i just think that would be absolutely amazing um but this guy is very cool he actually um they have some land here in minnesota so he comes back this way every once in a while hopefully i get to meet up with him face to face sometime we share some more stories 
Um, but this was a really good podcast. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. He is His outfitter is called Wing River Outfitters. He's on Facebook, Instagram. Go check him out. Awesome pictures of all this amazing game, um, native and exotic and fly fishing pictures. Really good Instagram account. Um, but his name is Jared Peepcorn. So here you go, everybody. You're going to like this episode. It was a good one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And let's get into it. This is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with Jared Peepcorn from Wing River Outfitters. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Well, welcome to the show. I have on with me Jared Peepcorn from Wing River Outfitters, which I just recently learned was not only just in New Mexico, but he also does some stuff here in Minnesota, and we can get to that later. Um, But I originally reached out to you because a friend of mine, Orlando Giles, Buck the Black Hunter, had been talking Mm -hmm. to you, and we were hoping to actually get a hunt in it didn't pan out this year but um what he was talking to me about was a an owdad hunt in new mexico right then i was doing a little bit of creeping on your website last night and it's not just owdad so if you want to kind of just set the scene of all what all wing river outfitters does go ahead and hit us with that sure sure well first of all thanks for having me absolutely um always exciting to be a guest um, we do um, most species of big game in New Mexico, um, anywhere from, you know, we do elk, antelope, mule deer, and in New Mexico, we call them Barbary sheep. They're not awdad in New Mexico. That's only for Texans. <laughs> really? But, yeah, yeah. So in our, in our hunting proclamation in New Mexico, it's, it's specifically stated it's Barbary sheep, but it's the same, same animal. So, um, and then of course, you know, up there, you know, in Minnesota, we do whitetail hunts and our property up there. Primarily, um, we, uh, do work with disabled vets on our place up there. So, um, uh, we're, we're trying to branch out a little bit, you know, down here and to get into, you know, a few more, more species, um, Ibex. Um, this year I just, uh, got exclusive hunting rights on a on a ranch that's uh 42 sections and for guiding um oryx which would be like your african gemsbok which are obviously not native here but they're wild here that's crazy so we do do quite a bit and then uh, you know in, in the when hunting season isn't in full swing um i also guide uh, fly fishing. Oh, nice! How's the fly fishing down there in New Mexico? That's unbelievable. It's We've not... got the 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 San Juan River here in northern New Mexico is it's one of the most sought after trout fisheries in the in the country. I mean, really, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. 
don't I don't hear New Mexico brought up very often in the conversations of fly fishing destinations. Well, yeah, most of the time when people think of, you know, out kind of west fly fishing, you know, they think Montana, Colorado, you know, places like that, but um New Mexico is is huge. I mean, we have lots of big streams here. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, you know, heard of um like the the Gila wilderness here. It's a yep. big, you know, elk hunting destination obviously. Um, the Gila River uh, goes right through the middle of that wilderness, and it's there's fantastic fishing there too. And then, of course, the Rio Grande. You know, there's some big time brown trout there, and so there's tons, tons of good fly fishing in the state of New Mexico. Is that drift boat kind of stuff or wading? <laughs> some, a yeah, bit of both? oh yeah, both, both. Yep, yep. Now we primarily do, um, you know, wade trips. Um, I, I, I'd like to. Um, my brother-in-law. Uh, his name is Nathan Portillo. He um, guides for me, you know, fairly often, and he's an outstanding guide and fly fisherman. Um, we're we're wanting to get a drift boat to you know to start doing some of that. You know, we've we've used you know some buddies and friends just on personal trips, you know, and have done it you know ourselves, but we've never taken clients out on a on a float trip yet. But we'd love to love to start doing it. That's something I've never done. It's on the Add that to the bucket list. I think that'd be an interesting, oh, yeah. interesting oh, experience. Great. Yeah, for sure. As it far is. It's, as just like, a to- it's a it's a totally different look at the river. Oh, I bet. Oh, for sure. The problem I think I would have is that I have I have this problem even when I'm waiting. Is what's around that next corner? If I had a if I had an, <laughs> if I had the ability to cover more ground, all I would do is cover more ground instead of like fish. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, believe me. I, I know what you mean. I have that same problem. <laughs> that wanderlust or what's around the next bend or whatever you want to yep. call it. It's like I just saw oh, so many times I've pushed I've, my days have become so late and I get back so tired because it's just one more bend, one more bend, one more bend, one more bend. And then you got to walk all the way back upstream yep. usually. It's like, yeah, oh, that's crap. right. <laughs> like, oh. I, I totally, totally get it because I fall into that same trap pretty often yeah it's it's fun though i don't um i do a little bit of trout fishing here in minnesota i usually go down to the southeast part of the state um but sometimes i actually go up to the north shore uh not as big a trout up there but it's uh, when i go up there it's more about just the experience of being up there and the topography and the view and yeah it's pretty hard to beat but yeah you know and and i'm a big fan you know of course everybody likes to catch big fish um and there's you know, plenty of big fish. I caught a, a 32 inch brown trout, you know, a couple summers ago. Oof. And I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big trout, <laughs> especially for a river trout. I mean, you catch lake trout, you know, that big, you know, not often, but you know, they're more often than they sure. can do fly fishing. Um, but I, I really, really enjoy, uh, you know, small stream fishing, um, streams where, you know, you have to crawl on your hands and knees because if the fish see you, they're gone. Right. You know, and you crawl, crawl on your hands and knees and you kind of lay down on your side and, you know, you're, you're kind of flicking your fly over your shoulder. And I mean, I, I really, really enjoy that, that kind of small stream fishing too. It kind of starts bordering on the edge of hunting when it, it does, when you, when you get like that. Yeah. I've, I've found myself yep. in those small streams too. And it's incredible how wary those fish get like, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've gone, you know, places, there's a, uh, one of the rivers that we fish, you know, quite often here, it's got the Cimarron River. It's in up in 
you know, kind of north central, northwestern part of the state. Um, it, there's a, a creek that's a runoff creek that feeds into that. It's called Clear Creek. And, you know, you'll be, you, you'll fish in a little pool that's, you know, maybe half the size of a car hood. And you'll catch, you know, native cutthroat trout all day long. I mean, they're just voracious feeders and they're so fun to catch. And you're, I mean, they're, the, the stream may be two feet wide. Yeah, that's nuts. No, it's, it's a blast. I love it. There was a similar stream that I had found, and this was one, this was just an adventure we did. I found a, a little blue squiggly line on the on a map up in the arrowhead of Minnesota here and um, went up there for native brookies and didn't know, if, you know, who knows last time that creek was ever surveyed if there still was trout in there or, or whatever, but sure. found a little forest trail that led back to it and bombed back there in my pickup truck and we get there and there's a little culvert that passes and by the time my buddy was finished putting his rod together i already caught like six fish yeah <laughs> just yeah and talk about voracious i mean these things killed anything that moved like however you wanted to catch them just use that because they are gonna oh, yeah. these things were it was unreal like if one fish came at your bait eight of them came at your bait it was yep. crazy didn't catch anything huge but i mean it was just non-stop and and like you said it was this tiny little stream you could probably jump over it if it wasn't for how thick the brush was around it and that was the thing like we were kind of um relegated to just fishing a 50 yard stretch of stream where it was kind of cleared out next to the road like if you right. actually wanted to get off like it would have been legit bushwhacking you better go there yep. with the machete <laughs> yep and so yeah. we caught i don't know how many fish we caught in a short time we we're there because one the it was starting to get late, and we had to get out of there, and the bugs were ridiculously bad when we went there. Um, of course, we didn't plan for that. Didn't have head nets or anything like that. But sure. I've been meaning to get back, and that was probably 15 years ago. I don't know. I still still have yet to go back up there, but uh, it's been, yeah, that, it's been that, in my plan. Yep. Yeah, that I mean, that's some of my favorite kind of fishing. There's a, there's a, a mountain lake. Uh, here up in, you know, near Red River, New Mexico, between Red River and Cuesta, um, it's Cabresto Lake. And there's, you know, there's, you know, brookies in there and there's native cutthroat trout in there too. And the water's so clear that you can throw a dry fly out there and you can see the fish from, you know, 15 or 20 feet down coming up to hit your fly. Oh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> and so when I, when I was up there the last time, um, I got the bright idea of, you know, doing, you, you always hear like the, the sheep slam and turkey slams and all sure. that. So I had the bright idea of trying to catch all four species of trout in New Mexico in less than 24 hours. And so there's only four, four places in the state of New Mexico that have brook trout. So I, I was able to do it. I caught, caught a, a brown, a cutthroat, a rainbow and a and a brook all in less than 24 hours. Sweet. So you, you kind of got to wheel around a little bit to, sure. to cover, cover the ground to, to get to all the different spots, but it's a, uh, it was fun. I've never heard of anybody else doing it. Yeah. Our slam would be pretty easy unless you throw lake trout into the mix and that you're going to make it yeah. a little bit harder there. But as far as stream yeah. trout goes, you could, you could probably check off all three 
fairly simple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the difference between the stream that I fished and the one you were talking about is this one was, the water was like coffee. It was tannic. Oh, wow. You know, water coming out of the bog. I mean, it looked just like coffee. It was just like black. And those brookies that you pulled out of there were like a dark purple almost. It was. Wow. They were, they were incredible. Um, definitely need to get back up there. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I haven't, I used to do a bunch of fly fishing. I kind of got out of it. Um but I've been, it's been creeping back into the psyche. Might be as I stare at a fly reel on my counter right now. <laughs> <laughs> it might be time to, to ease back into it. That'd be a lot of fun. You know, New Mexico oh, yeah. is one of those places I haven't spent um, really any time in. I drove through it. I used to live in Arizona for a spell for just about a year, um, and so there was a couple of trips back and forth, and I always kind of clip New Mexico on my way there. It's a gorgeous country, but I just never yeah. really spent any time it, it, there. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. There's, there's just, there's so much here. Um, the topography and terrain changes from, you know, read, we have all the different, you know, geographic kind of regions here. The, we have, you know, arid desert to, you know, plains and sand hills and grasslands all the way up to, you know, Rocky Mountains go through here. And there's just, there's so much to do here. And there's so many different species of, you know, wild game, um, not to mention, you know, the fish. And there's guys here that, you know, they have, you know, huge fishing tournaments here, you know, bass fish and walleye fish. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, Northern Pike here. And I mean, there's, there's just, there's so much to do here. It really is you know, a sportsman's paradise that's comparable to, you know, like a Wyoming or Montana. It's just less known. And it gets colder than people think down there. It does. Like you you get legit blizzards some winter, don't you? In the high plains? Yep. Yep. Yeah. We, I mean, there we had a, you know, typically we don't get really severe, severe weather where I, I live on the Eastern plains. And it doesn't get too awful severe here um, often, but it does. You know, we have we had a, a storm here this year that was supposed to be a once-in-a-century storm, except for we had one about six years ago. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. But we do get snow. You know, of course, you get up into the mountains, you know, and there's – I mean, it's all the snow you can handle, you know, for the most part. So, Did you get a piece we, of that big cold snap that, that rock Texas? We did. Okay. We did. So we, we never lost power or anything like that. And of course, everybody's prepared and I've got more elk meat and venison stuff in my freezer that I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store and stocking up on stuff. Right. Beer maybe, but <laughs> it was, I mean, we had, you know, just, we, we did get a, get part of that bad spell. So it happens. Are the are there mountain lakes where a guy could go ice fishing if he really really wanted to? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, there's okay. I know I know people that go ice fishing every year down here. Really? See, yeah. now there's something you don't put two and two together. You don't say yep. New Mexico ice fishing. Those two things don't yep. live in my consciousness. Yep, not it, it, most people wouldn't think those two things go together in New Mexico and and ice fishing, but there's an up in Northern New Mexico, you know, typically where we go to do the majority of our fly fishing. Um, there's, there's lots of ice fishing. And what are they fishing for up there? Um, most of the time they're fishing for 
trout. Okay, these are trout lakes. Yep, but they still they'll catch. You know, they'll catch. You know, walleye and northerns, and you know, there's any number of things that they can catch too. And and it's kind of a a little bit of a catch twenty two. Be originally being from Minnesota, and then having family, you know, still there, and we, you know, had gone up there for you know my entire life. Um, I, I love catching walleye and catching northern and going musky fishing and all that, catching crappie. Um, so I like catching those kind of fish down here too, but people here hate them because they eat all the trout. Right. So when you got some of these mountain lakes, you know, that are filled with trout and, and somebody, you know, catches a, a northern somewhere and throws it in a lake, obviously, which is illegal. And then now they got a problem, you know, keeping the the population a, a trout up. So it's a it's a you know a issue for the game department down here to deal with. And how are they dealing with that? I know that um, in some of the other mountain states like Idaho, they pretty much have a bounty on pike, and they have like do not throw them back. If you catch one, you keep it. There's no limit. There's no rules. Just go get them because yeah, they're I mean they're voracious predators yep. and they're going to eat yep. trout like crazy. Same same kind of same kind of thing here okay. you know i mean and and as far as really fishing and in, in in new mexico in its entirety it more revolves around trout than it does any other species of fish so trout fishermen primarily you know fly fishermen i mean they they have complete and utter disdain for anything other than trout <laughs> Right. Especially ones that kill all the trout. <laughs> yeah, well, understandably, I can see yep. that. Is there a move to um, just kind of get back to native trout? Like, is cutthroat the only native trout to New Mexico? Uh, brown trout are native here, too. Um, now, brooks aren't native, but they've been here in those, you know, four fisheries for, you know, such a long time that they're they call them wild obviously i mean they're not native naturally but, reproducing right right okay um so the other species are are and there's actually there's a couple of different species specifically of um cutthroat trout so there's you know your your regular cutthroats and then there's also a, a gila cutthroat that's specifically um limited to and native to the gila wilderness and that's considered an, like an actual subspecies of right cutty yeah yep. i think i think i have heard about that the gila trout but it's a cutthroat yep that's pretty cool Do you, can you is it a pretty um good difference in appearance like can you tell uh, somebody posts not a picture? much i mean there your average guy isn't going to be able to tell much of a difference there's a little bit of you know color variation difference um and the gila cutthroats seem to be a little bigger than than the regular cuts that you find anywhere else in the state hmm. i wonder if the no. browns and, and, have just been there that long that they consider them native because my understanding that brown trout aren't even native to north america at all we got most of our browns came from right. germany so that that's that's really it's true um and it, it's probably like you said goes back because they've been there so long and it's kind of a it's it's a really a no-no here to keep brown trout you know if you're gonna if you're catching fish to eat um don't it's they just say it's bad 
juju to keep brown trout. <laughs> it's there's no regulation against it. Like nope, there's no regulation. No state, it's just uh, shunned it's just, by other fishermen. Yep, that's right. Okay. Because it's you know, and 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 everybody does you know they call them you know native browns, but I mean they're they're not. I mean they're they're native in places like Iceland and right. you know Norway Northern and Europe. Sweden, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's my understanding, but I'm always open to the fact that I could very well have picked up bad information somewhere. Um, but I know there's kind of a movement around the country in different spots. Hot spots are starting to pop up with like, even with brown trout, and you know, getting starting to try to phase them out and just go back to you know those talks have kind of been had here in Minnesota. They've never really gotten much traction, and really brook trout are our only native trout other than Lakers, sure. and just seems like that would be that would be quite the undertaking to get every stream back to sure yeah i mean i i don't know how it would take it would take forever to do that and i i love browns i I like catching browns more than i do any other fish i mean they they really are as far as you know fighting goes they're better fighters than than any other i mean cutthroats you know they're they they like to they like to test you a little bit but the browns are, you can tell when a brown hits your fly. Yeah, well, they're aggressive, and they get big, like you said, 32 inches. I don't know how big is, yep. how big do the cutthroats get? You know, the biggest that I've caught here has been, you know, 14 or 15 inches. Okay, yeah, I didn't think and, they and that the, big. Yeah, the, the Gila, the Gila cutthroats, you know, they'll get that big or maybe a little bit bigger. But the browns, they just, they get, they get huge. And I've got, I mean, I've got, you know, rainbows on my wall, you know, replica you know mounts on my wall that you know were 22 24 inches and you know the rainbows get awful big too but whenever you see somebody that just catches an absolute monster trout it's always a brown yeah and they're those things are just like when someone when you get a 30 inch or 30 plus brown that's just man that's a different creature you're just like that, oh, yeah. that thing ain't sipping mayflies <laughs> you know what no. I mean? Like, well, I mean, we we fish for them. You know, we we night fish. You know, fly fishing. You know, fairly often. You know, in the in the spring and summertime, even in the winter time too. You know, it'll be you know fifteen degrees outside, and we'll be out there on the river at you know eleven o'clock, you know midnight, and you slap mice off the water yeah, for browns. That's what I've heard, yeah, yeah. Like I said, they're not eating. They're not eating bugs at that point. That giant mouth no. they got. That's that's not made for bugs at that point. That's they're eating no, you're, frogs, mice, yeah, you're, other you're, fish. You're going after a carnivorous fish. Yeah, crayfish, whatever moves, probably. Yeah, yep. I raised a big one on a stream here in Minnesota one time. I was actually using spinning gear. Don't don't string me up for that. But I was um, throwing. Oh, I won't. <laughs> I was throwing <laughs> rapplas and um, and I knew that big ones were in this particular river so i didn't go down there with my ultralight i was down there with like you know a medium action spinning gear heavier test line and i was working this big deep dark undercut and this giant brown comes out and just barely misses my bait you know just kind of rolls on it takes a swap swipe at it and i've pretty much brought me to my knees i mean i was like oh i couldn't breathe i mean didn't want to miss that one. Very similar to like a big musky follow, you know, something like that. Probably even more rare, yeah. really. And it was just like, oh, my God. And I cast back in there, and I got him to move one more time, and he barely slid out of his little dark hidey hole and went back in. And that, and was, that was probably it. That was yep. it. And it was the last time yeah, I saw so, him. I was like, oh, my God. 
And that was probably 30 so, inches. I mean, that thing was yeah, an that's, absolute Yeah, that's beast. a big fish. So there's, you know, a, I mean, a, a technique that we use down here, you know, because a lot of those browns, you know, that's where they, they'll stay under those, you know, undercut banks. And so depending on where you are and the, the you know, foliage cover over the riverbanks, you know, there's a lot of times where really about all you can do is fish, you know, with a woolly booger. And, you know, you flick it out in front of you and you let the current take it. And then you just kind of mend your line over to the bank and you can get that, that woolly booger right to and underneath that cut bank. And you just strip it, you know, back in and they'll come out for underneath that cut and, you know, take your woolly booger from there. And I mean, it's, you can, you can pull out, you know, out from underneath that cut bank, you'll draw out big fish. And what, browns primarily from underneath those cuts. Okay. What size woolly bug are you using? Um, it d- depends on where you are. We use them anywhere from like size 14s all the way to, you know, 6s, 8s. Yeah. And, and for those people so, that might not know, like uh, fly fishing hook sizes go, the smaller number is bigger. The s- Which the I guess smaller, is the same for any kind yeah, of hook, yeah. really, but... Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of people. Maybe they don't fish at all. Maybe they're just hunters and they're listening to this. But yeah, yeah, like a size well, twenty two is teeny. <laughs> that, well, so we the that thirty two inch brown that I caught, I caught him on a a size thirty. What fly? Seriously? Well, they're just oh, yeah. now you just proved me wrong. So I said they're not sipping bunks at that point. And, you know, so it, and you caught some this of thing them. Yeah, that's a that's a gnat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, and so that, that's on the San Juan, like that's fishery I was talking about before that. I mean, it's a big, huge, wide open river. I mean, there's places in that river that are, you know, 20 feet deep. Um, and at that point, I mean, there's fish all over the place and you don't fish the bank like that, you know, throwing a woolly booger underneath the bank, you know, like you do on the smaller streams. And it's such big, wide open water. And you get in some of those deeper pools anywhere from, you know, five feet to 10, 12, 15 feet deep. Um, and you use a strike indicator. And so you set up kind of with a, with a double rig. So you'll have a, a, a one, a top fly and a dropper below it. And so like what we've typically use, we'll use like a size. Oh, you know, 26 or 28, like a red larva on top. And then, you know, 12, you know, inches below it, you'll drop a, you know, like a 28 or 30, you know, like a cream colored or a olive color UFO. And they'll, they'll hit either one of those, but you got to, you adjust your strike indicator for the correct, you know, depth, the pool that you're, you know, that you're fishing. Right. So, I mean, it's, you'd be surprised, you know, and so we, you, obviously you can't fish with those at night. I mean, it's cause it's all off yeah. of sight, right. you know, cause they'll, you know, when a trout, you know, takes a bug in its mouth, they don't just open their mouth and go bite the bug. You know, when the bug is floating down, they open their mouth and it sucks the bug in their mouth. And so if they suck that bug in their mouth, they can they instantly know whether it's good or not. And they'll just open their mouth and spit it back out. Right. And so it, everything is done off of sight when you're, you know, little, you know, nymph fishing like that. 
So you're watching your strike indicator the whole time, similar to what you do watching a bobber. Um, but it's, you'll see the most, the minute movement in that strike indicator and you'll miss for every fish that you catch <laughs> for every fish that you have on. I guarantee six or eight, 10 times that you missed because wow. you, you couldn't tell your strike indicator moved enough. That's crazy. That's some pretty yeah. finesse, finesse style fishing right there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It really is. It's great. I mean, it's, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. And I really, really enjoy teaching people to fly fish. It's fun. It's, it's, I miss it. I, I miss doing it. And, uh, just the art of it and the action of it is just, uh, it's pretty fun. I mean, one, I think one of my most rewarding outings, fly fishing, um, we were using kind of mid to late summer and, uh, using the hopper and to get mm-hmm. down there. And again, same guy that was up with me up North and he was still rigging up. I don't know what takes this guy so long to get rigged up, but anyways, I was, <laughs> I was rigged up <laughs> and I'm down at the stream waiting for him. And there's this, on the opposite side of the stream, there's just this little tiny bump out and you could just the tiniest little eddy right there. And I'm like, that mm-hmm. looks like a spot a fish should live. And I made a cast. I missed it. Bring it up, set it back down. And it landed perfectly right where I want it. And this, brown it was probably about a 14 inch brown just like murdered that thing i mean he came yep. clean out of the water after yep. it and i hooked him and it was i was like i already got one he was like god damn it and i was like yep. early bird gets to wear but uh that was i mean that just like seeing that part of the river going there should be a fish there making the right cast and then being rewarded in epic fashion like that was that was pretty yep. awesome it's just perfect perfect presentation and that's all you got to figure out. Yeah, it's, putting, it's a lot of fun. Putting fish in your bag. It's a lot of fun. And there's, you know, one thing I always wonder is, like, there's a lot of streams, especially that one that I was talking about in northern Minnesota. Like, I don't even know how you would fly fish it because there's just so much brush around it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I mean, some... if, the, if the water's running and it's, you know, and it's, you know, foot deep at least, you know, you can fish that sucker with a woolly booger. Sure. And then you're just kind of doing that same thing. The... You're, just, you're drifting it downstream and stripping it yep. back up. Yep, let the current take it and kind of mend it over to the bank and strip it back up. That sounds like a lot of fun. What's your trout season like down there? Like when do you usually book trips? When do people come down there? Well, I mean, the, the majority of it is, is you know, spring and summer, summer primarily. Um, but, I mean, it's actually a thing here to fish in the dead of winter. Mm. And I, I really enjoy – we always – we've got a group of, of, of guys are, you know, we take a guy's trip, you know, a couple times a year with just us friends. And, um, one of the trips we always take is, you know, every winter we try to get up to the San Juan. And like I said, you know, it'll be 15 degrees outside and there'll be ice on the banks of the river. And, um, and the water is, I mean, freezing cold. It's, you know, it's 40 degrees all year long. It'll be 40 degrees in mm-hmm. August and it never, never changes temperature. Um, and in the summertime, you know, your feet freeze and you're cold standing in the water. And in the wintertime, you're warmer in the water than you are outside. Right. But it's, it's, it's a thing to fish down here in the winter. So we have people that, that they do, they, you know, once they kind of figure that out that, Hey, I need to catch, you know, I need to catch some fish in February. So we do, we do, you know, book trips and in, in the oh, wintertime okay. as well, That'd be pretty but cool. summer, summertime, summertime obviously is, you know, the most popular sure. schools out people are on vacation and, 
but you got a lot more people on the river. Right. Well, that's true too. And how how busy does it get down there, generally? It'll get it, it'll get pretty busy. Really? I mean, now there's there's tons of water, you know, that's big, wide open stretch, and you know there there will be quite a few people. But the thing is, is there's lots of people that will fish, especially there on the San Juan in the quality waters there on the San Juan. People get very frustrated very easily because it can be very difficult to catch fish. And so they, they'll leave and go somewhere where they can use, you know, spinning tackle. And so is the San early Juan, morning, is the San Juan fly only? Yes. Okay. Yes. There, there in the quality water stretch. Yes. I gotcha. It's fly only. And so there'll be, there'll be people that'll, you know, be coming in and out all day. But like I said, there's, there's such big wide open water that, I mean, you're really not getting in anybody's way. Nobody's really getting in your way, and there's fish everywhere. I mean, you can you could wade off in that water, and in three minutes, there will be 15 fish that are, you know, 18, 20, 24 inches swimming around your feet the entire time you're there. Oh wow! So, What's I mean, the stream every, access like? Is it is it a lot of public land there? Yeah, it, it, the, the whole that, that whole quality stretch is yeah. Okay. And there's there's public access for a big big chunk of it. So, but where the the, the upper part just below, um, so the river's fed by uh, a lake called Navajo Lake, and so from the dam down like a mile and a half, I think. Um, that's the whole quality water stretch. And I mean, the fishing is, it's phenomenal. And once you get down below the dam, I'm like, if you're in a drift boat, you get down below there, you don't run into anybody. Hmm. Everybody stays, everybody stays, you know, up by the dam where, where the the easier access. And that's where, where, where the, you know, the put in for the drift boats and stuff are is up there and you just go downstream and fish to your heart's content sounds awesome <laughs> it is it yeah, is that's i've been thinking about that and some of the streams here is like just going down with the the kayak and reaching some spots that, that other people just don't get yep. to because it's too far from you know an access and people just like I said they're most people are generally lazy they're not willing to put in that yep. work to go that extra mile and get to that yeah well and that's that's water. A- that's the same thing, you know, for hunting, you know, and I tell clients and I tell friends and, you know, whoever, anybody that'll listen, if you want animals, you want good quality, you know, big animals, you got to go where people won't go. Right. You know, animals aren't going to hang out where the people are hanging out. So you got to, you got to get to where other people aren't willing to go. And if you put out the effort, you know, then chances are you have, you know, you have a higher percentage of getting, of rewarding yourself, you know, with a, with some game. So and same speak, thing goes for fishing. Yeah. And speaking about hunting, like, um, what I do know about New Mexico, as far as elk, that's New Mexico has been known for one of those places you go for big bulls. Yeah. Um, now it's pretty limited, isn't it? Like draw for tags there. Um, sort of, um, Obviously, you, you, you know, for elk especially, you put in for the draw. And, I mean, there's tons of, of units, and there's 
mean, with millions of acres of public hunting land. Um, but you know, there's a chance that you don't get drawn. And so I, there's a, a guy that I got hooked up with this last year, um, that will have a TV show airing on the pursuit channel this, this coming season. Um, I've guided him on, on a couple of hunts so far, and I'm taking him on another two or three hunts before that, um, airs before the show start airing. Um, he wanted, uh, he, he wants to hunt the coos deer. So I told him, I said, okay, I tell you what, we'll put in for the draw, see if we can get drawn for coos deer. Well, while I was doing that, I put, you know, my, my son, I've got a, my youngest son's 14, um, put him in for a, for a public land elk hunt. And, you know, Mark, the guy from the TV show and myself, we didn't get drawn for anything, but my 14 year old son got drawn for a either sex elk tag and really probably the best unit in the entire state. Oh, wow. How old is your son? 14. Nice. Well, he's going to be runt. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. My my oldest boy, I've got a a son that's 20. He'll be 22 in July, but I took him elk hunting for the first time, and he was that same age. And I, I rarely have time for me to hunt myself or to take my kids out elk hunting. It's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I'm always taking everybody else mm-hmm. else out hunting, you know, but I took him out at 14 years old for the first time. And he had a, you know, a 360, 370 class bull killed in like the first 30 minutes we hunted the oh very, very, very first morning. Wow. So he, <laughs> He was like, man, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Said, Does he yeah. realize now how uh-huh. like lucky he was? Yeah. Like, like that just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then my my fourteen year old, he first time I took him antelope hunting, he shoots a Boone and Crockett antelope that's probably going to end up being probably top ten ever taken in the state of New Mexico. First time ever wow. out hunting any big game. That's nuts. And he kills that, and then you know last <laughs> year he killed these the, kids. <laughs> yeah, I know they're they're kind of like a lucky charm. I, that's why I need to. If I get drawn for something, or I'm going to go hunt a, a Barbary sheep or some or an ibex for myself, I'm going to bring one of them along. You wow. know, see the biggest animals that you can ever come across with those guys. Yeah, so let's get into some of those more exotic stuff that they got down there. What are what? So ibex, they have ibex there now. Are those on like private ranches? That kind of a high fence thing, or those just out there running wild too? They're running wild too. We don't have any. There's no high fence places in the state of New Mexico. Everything here is fair chase. What species of ibex is it? Um, uh, man, I'm trying to think of what it is now. It is the man. Now you got me. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that important. I, do, I just know there's a handful of different different right, kinds there and are, slightly different um, horn structure and stuff like that. No, really, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, they're, they are, they're, they're wild. Um, there's one draw unit in the state. Um, so if, and there's a limited number of tags that they give out, but you can buy an over-the-counter tag and go anytime you want. It's a 365-day tag. You know, the, the, the over-the-counter season opens up 
um, the 1st of April and ends the 31st of March. So it goes the entire year. And it's the same way with Barbary sheep. Um, so if you know, you know, got to kind of got it figured out where to go, you have a whole year to hunt the things. So why would there be a limited draw if it's also over the counter? Because you, you the draw unit, you cannot hunt that over the counter. Ah, got you. That so there's more position, and, of and them so, there. Right. And so gotcha. they're in the, the, the Florida mountains and the, where there's limited access and there's only that one unit. And I think there's three hunts. So there'll be, you know, like a, I think an eight day, like an eight day hunt for the draw for Ibex. And then, you know, three weeks later, there's another eight day. And then, you know, a month after that or a month and a half after that, there's another eight day hunt. And I mean, that, that's, that's it. And outside of that draw unit, is over the counter so th- there's going to be fewer animals um or they're going to be harder to get to people don't know where they are because everybody wants to draw and they just assume that you know you have to draw to get good animals which is not the case it's the same way with you know barbary sheep I- I- i've never even put in for a barbary sheep hunt and i mean you looked at you know some of my pages and mm-hmm. we've got barbary sheep you know killed on public land and you just got to kind of know where to go and how to hunt them, be those, able to shoot. I know those ibex, at least in where they come from, their native countries. Those things live in some pretty gnarly spots. Oh yeah, is that yep. the same way in New Mexico? Do they choose yep. kind of the? They like to live in the most inhospitable vertical, <laughs> vertical yep. cliffs, Vert, vertical rocks. That's <laughs> it, and they're you know pretty high elevation. They're 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 very difficult to hunt. They really are. Um, you know, you'll have people that say, oh, that's not that hard. Well, everybody get, can get lucky. I mean, everybody, you know, I know plenty of people that, you know, have killed a, you know, 300 class bull elk, you know, off the road the first day of the hunt. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not typical. And that doesn't happen very often. And that's not really hunting. That's cheating as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got lucky. I mean, you got to take it if you can get it but yeah i've been but yeah, always kind of been drawn to that kind of adventure hunt like that uh, you know harsh country the yep. problem for me is like i'm a i like the bow hunt and mm-hmm. these don't seem like bow hunting animals like i, you I know, just don't know how you would do that how you would pull that people, off people do it and, and i bow oh hunt too goodness. i mean I, I i kill my deer you know in new mexico every year with, with my bow but those things you can't you can't stalk them i mean you have to kind of try and figure out where they're going and sit and wait for them to walk out in front of you because you 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 can't stalk them in the rocks i mean because they're in places that you can't get to and see it coming i mean literally from miles away yeah i mean the, the last barber sheep hunt you know, that I went on and took a guy out, you know, I, I saw him, they were, you know, I don't know six or 700 yards away from me. And so I went and, and, you know, I was actually trying to get a cell phone signal. And so I saw him and I run back and grabbed the guy and said, Hey, grab your stuff. Let's go. They're over here in this Canyon. So we go over there and we got, you know, within 500 yards of them and they're already taken off and they're across a Canyon. 
and that was it. And I said, Hey, we better lay down here and shoot or, you know, they're going to be gone. So we both laid down and, you know, counted, counted down from three and shot at the same time and killed two sheep at 500 yards. And that's all the closer that, you know, it happens. It, I know people that have killed them at 150 yards, but it doesn't happen very often because they're, they're very difficult to get close to. As far as like shot placement or not even shot placement, like shot calling, you really got to kind of pick and choose when you shoot. You know, if this thing's on a vertical cliff and it's 1,500 <laughs> straight feet down, you know, like yep. what's the point of even killing that animal? You go to retrieve it, the horn's going to be all busted up, the meat's going to be all yep. bruised up, broken bones, everything else. Like that's, you know, so you got to kind of find the right spot. I mean, how often is that an issue? It, it is, it is an issue. Um, I'm, I'm a little more particular. I think there's too many guys that go out, um, to, they just, it doesn't matter where it is. They're going to shoot and then they'll figure it out later. I, I'm not that guy. If I'm going to shoot, put up the efforts, get out there and hunt and shoot and kill something that I'm going to make sure I can go retrieve it. And so it, it does happen. I mean, they, they fall off cliffs where you just, you, you just can't get to them. Oh man, that would, that would just, that would burn me. I mean, I, I would just yep. feel sick. Yeah. I mean, you just got to pick, pick your shot. I mean, it's, make sure if, if they fall, they're going to fall the right direction or that they're not right on the edge of a cliff. You know, I mean, it's, I've, I've personally never had that happen, you know, with myself or a client, but I don't want to say it'll never happen because, you know, it's possible, but I try to be, you know, really careful when it comes, when it comes to that. Cause like I said, if I put something on the ground, I want to bring it back home with me. Uh, what's your preferred, um, um, caliber for, um, Barbary sheep? Um, normally I, hunt mine either with i've got a 300 remington ultra mag or i hunt with a 6.5 creedmoor okay and i it's a the 6.5 creedmoor is a little bit of a hotly contested debate about the efficacy of that round um i think there's a the majority of the people that don't like it, say it's not big enough, say it's not fast enough. They've never hunted with it. And so that's what I, you know, I ask people, do you, have you ever used one or the decision that you're making about it? Is it based off of something you've been told or an article you've read? Because I've done, I have plenty of field data from my six, five Creedmoor prove that it is you know a a very effective round in the field and i'm talking even out to distance out to six and eight hundred yards so these these sheep aren't that big i mean how big how big what's a big what's a big barbie um 150 pounds 180 pounds you know in between there is going to be a good size ram okay so like an average doe back here yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're not huge. They look it, but they're not very tall. Like if you you see pictures of them and you see them, you know, running around on TV or whatever, they look like they're pretty, you know, beefy animals, pretty stocky. 
um, but they're they're not very tall. They're short, you know, little guys. Like a, you know, the last ones I packed out, I had basically an entire animal quartered and the head on my pack frame, walking it out, and I'd walk eight miles out with it. Sweet. I don't know why that actually sounds appealing to me. I'm, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment or something because I don't know. I'm like, I don't well, know something about that sounds a, good. <laughs> you're a hunter after my own heart because I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I, I really, I thoroughly enjoy that. You may not necessarily enjoy it when you're yeah, in that time. exact yeah. moment. Yeah. But it's the second it's over, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I just did that. Yeah, yeah you gotta, I, think, you, I think I can do that again. Yeah, you got to embrace the suck for sure. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. And I, I like to do things that other people don't want to do. Same. I like to go places that other people <laughs> don't want to go. You know, I I like to be that guy that says, yeah, it can be done. You know, because I've done it. So I would like to do right. something more challenging and fail than something super yep. easy and be successful. I mean, yep. It, different kind of situation here and i haven't even gone out yet this year but like turkey hunting i only go with my bow i really i don't really get that into it i pretty i half-ass it and i have yet to kill one and not surprisingly but i go on public land and the public land that i live next to it's very pressured um and it's just it's a huge challenge and it's like i'm either getting one on public land with my bow or i'm never getting one that yep. and that's fine like, and like because it's, the thing is people are like well why don't you just use a shotgun and get your first one i'm like here's the thing I don't, i've had i would have half a dozen of them already if i went out with a shotgun which is precisely why i don't use it because it's sure. like i know it's like a for sure thing it's like yep. a matter of time well that's not it just doesn't appeal to me yeah so that's you know turkey hunting here and i, and I like to go and and I, I i really enjoy turkey hunting the problem here is, you know, you can, you can go to a river bottom, you know, somewhere here, you know, that's out in the, you know, flat, you know, plains country. And it's not real difficult. I mean, I've done it. It's not real difficult. I, I like to go in the mountains and hunting Turkey in the mountains is a whole different ball game. And you can hear, you know, you hit a locator call and you hear a, a Tom gobble first thing in the morning and it sounds like it's, you know, 200 yards up this canyon from you, but it may be up that canyon and then back around some other canyon that's a mile away from you. Just from the and sound it sounds bouncing like around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's pretty difficult just locating them. Yeah. I just think the topography and the, the challenge of it all would be, would just make it all the, I mean... The whole oh, scenario yeah. the, it just sounds better to me in general. The mountains are great. Yeah. The mountains are great. I mean, I, I there there's a big difference in you know like the big timber kind of mountains where you elk hunt and the barren rock you know cliffs where you sheep hunt. I mean, you're you're still at you know pretty good elevation for both, um, but they're just so vastly different that. It doesn't, like you said, I mean, it doesn't even seem like you're in the same state. Right. It what seems you, like you're in some cliffs somewhere in Libya hunting, <laughs> you know, Barbary sheep. Yeah, and there's even Ibex out there. Do, yeah. they, do the Ibex and the Barbaries, do they kind of share territory a little bit, or are you talking totally different? 
Um, yeah, spots. sort of. Um, a lot of the the better areas to hunt Barbary sheep are are a little bit west of where the ibex are. Um, but there there are. I mean, there's they do share somewhat now. I don't know if they're you know walking around on the same cliffs at the same time, but they're similar. It's same terrain, same you know, same topography, same, same rock cliffs, same elevations. Um, but I don't know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, deer and elk. It seems, you know, one day you see deer and one day you see elk, sure. but you almost never see deer and elk on the same, you know, the same hillside on the same day. I mean, it happens, but it's rare. And so here, I mean, it's kind of the same with, with Barbary sheep and, and Ibex in the same, same areas, same type of terrain, but you never, you know, you don't, you don't ever see them together. What are they eating? Rocks. I really did. I mean, <laughs> they, it, there's nothing where they, where they live. There's nothing for them to eat. Um, so they like scrub brush or. Yeah. I mean, they're so, so when grass, it, in, little, like, in some of the areas, yeah, I mean, there, there's grass. So, so in some of the public land where I go barber sheep hunting, um, a lot of it it's still considered national forest, even though there's, you know, four trees in about eight square miles, but right. there's, there's grass there and, you know, there, you know, ranchers have some of that land leased and have cattle on. And so there is some grass. Um, but you know, when it comes to kind of dire straits and there not much grass around, you know, they'll eat cactus and hmm. the same deer, deer in those same areas will eat, they'll eat cactus as well. Um, so we'll elk, you know, and the cattle in the area will do the same thing. So, whatever's there i mean they'll they'll eat it um but you, you you would walk out there and and you would that's exactly what you'd say what in the world do these <laughs> things eat i mean that wasn't really my intent i was like just genuine curiosity is more of the hunter and me just like trying to put together a game plan like sure. okay where do you go you know food source you know water that kind of stuff but you're you're looking at an arid environment um, I just didn't know if there was a particular kind of topography that you concentrate on more or, you know, it's, what's well, their, what yeah, are their movements I mean, like? Are they an early morning, late evening animal like deer would be? It doesn't really make any difference. Okay. I've yeah. seen them and killed them first thing in the morning, in the middle of the afternoon, or before dark. I mean, it really doesn't make any difference. They're just kind of... You just, you just, you just got to find them. They'll be out. Um most of the time, you know, evening before evening, they're going to be moving to cliffs where they're going to be, you know, the, or they think they're safe for the night and they'll get out and move in the morning and they'll go to water. And they'll go to, you know, go to foraging, whatever they can find. But, you know, most of the time when you see them, they're laying around in the shade, in the rocks, or they're moving from, you know, just like deer are going to move from feed to bed somewhere. But, I mean, uh, you can find them anytime during the day. Are they kind of homebodies? Do they, do they have a territory or do they just, because of the lack of resources, are they just constantly on the move? Um, it, it depends on what you mean by territory. So they won't always be in the same canyon. 
I mean, there's, and when I'm talking Canyon, I'm talking big, huge, deep, wide open canyons, cliffs, hundreds of feet. Um, they'll, there will be, you know, fingers on above these canyons that are, you know, there'll be four or five or six or 10 of them in a row running the span of, you know, 10 miles. And that is their area. Wow. So it's pretty big. So, yes. So they'll be in one Canyon one day and you, they may not be back there for days or days and days. And then you'll go four five, six, eight canyons over and then they're all there in that canyon. Do you go out looking for sign? Do you just, is this a lot of glassing, I assume? It's a lot of glassing. And you just, you find a good spot up high. And, and that's another debate when it comes to sheep hunting is, do you hunt from below and hunt up? Or do you hunt from top and hunt down? And I always hunt from top down. Because you can look down into a canyon, into cliffs in a canyon, and see the sheep laying in the cliffs. If you're down, you can't see them. Sure, you're looking up, so and there's I, a tabletop. They're on it, and you right. can't see them. Yeah, yeah. that makes right. sense. Right, and me. so I, I've I've never understood why people hunt from you know low to high, but you get up high, and you get in a good spot where there's good cliffs, and you know lots of you know nooks and crannies where they can be hiding, and you start glassing. And you can glass that same spot for hours before you see them. Hmm. Because that for, if you're on one side of a canyon and you're looking across to the other side, you know, you may be looking at, you know, it, it could be a mile across to where you're actually glassing. And that's all the closer you can get to it. Yeah. That's, so they can be really tough to spot. Yeah, and spotting them, that's, no, that's just part of it, right? Now you got to formulate a plan, like how are we going to get over there? Can we even get over yep. there? Are they still going to be there yep. by the time we get over there? You know, like that's, yep. there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, I've never done it. And I've never done anything even remotely close to it. I've yep. watched a, a few things, you know, sheep hunts on TV and YouTube and whatnot. I mean, I, I have a well, I mean, you've got the right understanding idea. I mean, of it. but Sure. And, you know, and, and tip normally what happens is you end up finally finding them, you know, about two hours before it gets dark. Well, you, you're not getting there in two hours. Right. So you end up going, okay, we're going to go back and we'll come back here and start in the morning in the same spot. And hopefully they'll still be there in that same spot or maybe one canyon over but they're going to be somewhat in that same vicinity if you've spotted them that day they're not going to be too far away in the you know by the next day yeah do they unless move, they just they get move at night at all? um not that i've ever seen okay um and and we've walked out in the dark and you don't hear them i mean they like i said before dark they go up into the cliffs and they they bed down same thing with Ibex. Do they have some vocalizations? The barbies. I mean, are, um, they, are they buying like a you, sheep? Or? Most of the time, you're so far enough away where you don't ever hear it, but they do. Okay. You know, they they do like goats, um, but you'll you'll hear them. You know, fairly often before you see them, you'll hear rocks falling off of cliffs. Okay, and Instead from a thousand around. from a thousand yards away. You'd be surprised that, you know, you can hear them coming across the canyon. 
Hmm. You know, from a thousand yards away, you'll hear rocks falling. Okay. And then if you're really lucky, you'll hear two rams, you know, button heads. Oh, that would be pretty sweet. Which I've heard that too. And I, when I first heard the noise, I, I wasn't sure what it was. And so I'm looking, 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 thinking, man, what, what is that? And finally I look across and it was a thousand eighty six yards away and this kind of cut back in this canyon and I there were, I don't know, six or eight rams there and four or five ewes and two big rams were just going at it, button heads. It was incredible. That would be amazing to yeah, see it's, that. It's pretty awesome. That would have been outstanding. What time do they have like a rut? Is there a time of year that that, that more fighting takes place? Yeah, it's it's later in the year than um, what they, you know, like deer, you know, deer in, you know, t- here, I know in Minnesota, ruts typically what, like first week, second no. week in November. Yep. So here the, the ruts use a little bit later for deer. It's, you know, you're looking middle of December till the middle of January. And then for sheep, it's, it's after that. It's oh, you know, wow. February, March. Yeah. That's a little surprising. Uh, how long is the, the, gestation the gestation period do you know like when when are they when are they having that i don't i don't know yep that i don't know Hmm. it seems like they would want to be is that somewhat cycled around like the wet season when there's more food available i wonder that that would make Uh, sense to me but maybe if we had a wet season oh you guys don't have where the where the sheep are you know where where i live on the eastern plains you know we average about 14 inches of rain a year and where the sheep live, I, I bet it's six or eight inches a year. Oh, wow. And so there's not really a wet season. And so on, on the, the ranch where I guide, um, the Oryx hunts, you know, and I, I've, I've known the, the owners of the ranch for, you know, 25 years. And he, uh, I was talking to him, uh, one of the last hunts we went on, it was just snowing like crazy, which is just unheard of. And so I just happened to run into him on one of the roads and, and, you know, I just kind of joked with him and said, when's the last time you seen it snow like this? And he said, well, I don't think I've seen it snow like this here in my lifetime. So mm-hmm. that tells you how often, you yeah. know, they get, wow. you know, any kind of precipitation. Crazy. Now those orcs, they're kind of more of a plains game, aren't they? They're, are they up they in the hills? Yep, yep. Um, well, primarily plains, but there's there's some. So the big draw here for oryx is the White Sands Missile Range, which is a you know government you know military yep. installation. Um, they brought the game department brought oryx here from Africa in like the late '60s, early '70s. And just to kind of see, you know, what, what they like, do. They did well, it on they just, purpose? yes, yes, they did it on purpose. <laughs> okay. And I mean, they just exploded. The populations just exploded. Um, the, the climate where they put them um, here in New Mexico is so similar, you know, as it is in Africa to, you know, how it is in Africa, but there's no predators here. Hmm. Yeah, we don't. There's no lions. I mean, there's mountain no, lions I mean, from there, time to time, but there's but no. there's. I mean, there's nothing that's a natural predator to to right. orcs. So the populations just have gotten huge. So they 
they open up, they have draw hunts on the White Sands Missile Range for oryx. Um, and it's really, there's people that have put in for 25 years that never get drawn for it. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's you know, highly sought after. Um, but there's, there's hills, you know, and mountains and some, you know, cliffs on the missile range, and you'll find them all over those, those hills and cliffs too. But primarily, I mean, they're, they're, they're a plains animal. It's a, it's a species of antelope. So yeah, they're, you can they're get, a plains animal. You, you can get them outside of the missile range. Is that right? I think yeah. I heard that somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So there's just not so as many the, of them. Yeah. I mean, there, there's still plenty. I mean, that's, I, I guide them off of the missile range and you can put in for draws, um, depredation, you know, type hunts, um, off range. Um, and it's, they're, they're harder to hunt. That's for sure. I mean, the, the, the bulk of the population of them is on the missile range, but I mean, I, I just started guiding those this year on the, on a ranch that actually borders the missile range. And, you know, we killed several, you know, beautiful animals this year. And those like the, the females actually have kind of the more preferred horns. Is that right? Don't they get straighter? Um, yeah. The, the cows, cows have, they're longer. Typically the horns are longer. Um, but the bulls, there's, there's, there's more mass, more mass, mass to the horns on the bulls. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, is there also nil guy down there? Nope. Not New, not, not New Mexico. Okay. I thought I, was it not nil guy? Hmm. Maybe it was Oryx that they were talking about then. It was yeah. just outside of the. They're, they're beautiful, they're beautiful nice. animals and they're, they're oh, pretty they're, hard to kill. They're so amazing. Like, yep. They're tough to kill. I, the, the guy from the TV show decision point outdoors is the name of the TV show. And the guy that's got the show, his name is Mark Bishop. Um, I, I guided him on an Oryx hunt this year and it was, I mean, it was worked out. It was picture perfect. Um, we got on, got on some some great, great animals. You know, he picked out the one he wanted to shoot and caught it on film perfectly. And he killed the thing with a six, five Creedmoor. And six five Creedmoor is tough to kill an oryx with. Yeah, I mean, are, they're hard to they're kill. Big period. Yeah, they're they're huge, and and their, their vitals are further forward than you know, like an elk or a deer. And so you're to get really into their vitals good. You have to shoot through the point of their shoulder. So you're shooting through, you know, like shoulder blade, you know, bare minimum to get in to hit lungs. Wow. So they're 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 pretty tough to kill. That'd be a tough archery kill. Oh yeah, I, I've I don't know if I've ever even heard of anyone killing <laughs> them with a bow. I am sure it's done somewhere, but I'm I'm sure it'd be it'd be great. I'd love to do it. You, you know what's funny to, is you I, almost have to do a quartering away just to get yeah. behind that yep. scalpula. Yep. Yep. I, I I guided a guy uh, this year on an oryx hunt that he killed one in Africa. And he said he had more fun on this hunt than he did when he was hunting them in Africa. Hmm. Why so? I don't know. I mean, just, of course, I mean, prob- probably the biggest part was probably the guide, of course. Well, naturally. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> but he, he really, I mean, he just, I, I think the company, he had a couple friends with him. The company was great. You know, we had, you know, the food was great. I mean, it just, it, it was just a blast. And, and he killed a great, great, bull but 
he, he did. He said it was, it really was a blast. And there was another guy with him that didn't hunt. Um, he is coming back in June. I'm taking him out orcs hunting in June. And there's another guy with him who was actually hunting that he had, they were coming from a Barbary sheep hunt and he had limited time for it to fly, you know, back to uh, Missouri, I think is where he was from. And so we had limited time and I gave him about four different opportunities to, to shoot and three of them. He didn't shoot one of them. He shot and missed twice. So he's, he's also coming back in June to, to kill to kill one with me. So nice, but there it's, it's a, it really is a great hunt. I mean, there's a, there's a bed and breakfast that's on the ranch. Um, I mean, it's, it's as convenient as it gets. Nice. Is there, is there is, I was just going to ask you, you led perfectly into that. Like what are the, um, what are the hunts like? You're staying at a lodge, you're staying at a bed and breakfast. Do you do any like backcountry wall tent kind of stuff at all? The majority of what I do is backcountry and wall tents. Okay. Um, I, I like the backcountry stuff I was just, more than I was just staying say, in town not, at a hotel. Not, yeah, that's me. I was like, yeah, I've been breakfast sounds and a and posh. you know you you you, you do you, I mean you have you have that that kind but as far as you know hunting this ranch for the oryx I mean it's it's not there's it's not much for backcountry I mean it's I've I've guided hunt out there where I've you know we've stayed you know in a tent um, but it's it's just as convenient and really easier as far as that hunt goes to stay in the bed and breakfast that's there on the ranch and the people that that own it and run it i mean it's i know them and i mean it's very convenient i mean I could, really I could, yeah. really great place but as far as like elk hunting and your deer hunting and that kind of stuff goes i mean i'm all about the and barbary sheep i mean i'm all about you know the wall tent you know setting it up and have the wood burning stove in the in the wall tent and doing the whole the whole backcountry thing that's my preferred way to hunt yeah i can see that for the uh for the oryx for sure but yeah like up once you get up in the mountains and get back in there you know where well yeah i mean you're you're, you're trying well yeah and you've got to drive i mean if you're driving in and out every day i mean you're missing you know half the half the day you're going to be driving just traveling and getting to the hunt spot yeah yeah Yeah. exactly plus i mean i mean haven't done it yet but i can only imagine just at camping out in the wall tent in the mountains well, it's part of the whole experience. I mean, that's kind of the quintessential, you know, backcountry way of hunting is Sounds amazing. setting up the wall tent and having your wood burning stove and your cots and sleeping bags and having a fire out front. And I mean, that that's, I mean, when people picture, you know, a, 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 a out west hunt, I mean, that's what people have pictured, yeah, that, you know, that's so that's what, that's that's what we like to do. That's in my mind, getting up cold yep. mornings coffee yep. grounds in your coffee i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's what we like to do uh that sounds uh that sounds pretty damn awesome actually how how much is a um like a barbary sheep hunt go for like if, if people are coming down there like lodging everything tag what, what are they looking at so with the the whole wall tent backcountry kind of experience food everything not counting the price of the tag um typically and i I make really make a lot of you know other guides and outfitters angry because of my 
pricing, but when my brother and I started this business, just to make a long story longer, um, <laughs> when my brother and I started this business, you know, we, we did it to make it to where kind of the average guy can afford to do a really cool hunt, you know, and we just, I, I got a hard time, you know, I, I'm not worried about pricing myself out of hunts. My main concern is for, you know, your average guy to be able to afford to do it. You know, anybody that's a millionaire can go pay for any kind of hunt they want. Right. You know, makes no difference. They can five-star hotels, five-star lodges, all that. I, I'm, that's not me. Um, typically for fully guided food, everything, you know, you're looking at 2,500 for a barbie sheep hunt. And that's how many days? Um, and that's, you know, five days. Five days. And what's the tag? The tag for out of state is, I want to say it's right around three hundred bucks. Okay, three twenty, I think something like three thirty. So it's really not too bad. Oh, that ain't, um, that ain't bad. At all. Um, you know, we 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 do give military discounts. Uh, you know, for active duty and for vet. Um, but you know, for, for a similar hunt for lots of guys, especially for like elk hunts. I mean, I, I know guys that they won't even answer the phone for less than 4,500 bucks. Wow. Well, I so, mean, I mean, it's like anything, right? There's, there's a, a list of prices. It's. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, there is, you know, research now, and find the hunt that's right for you, I guess, you know, I yep, mean, yep, some people that's, like that's, that five star Cuban cigars, top shelf yep, booze yep, every and, night kind of a thing and that's not that's not my niche you know and and you know i i'm i I like to bargain you know and i i've done lots of trading you know for you know hunts somewhere else or you know like i'm i'm working on i'm trading a a hunt for a guy to get some uh work done on a rifle you know guy Mm. is in um kentucky and he builds custom rifles and I'm having some work done on a rifle of mine, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to trade some hunting stuff out for that. So I'm, I'm always willing, you know, to do that too. I, I like the, I like the barter system. Well, I like the barter system a little, a little bit less than I like money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, time is money. Services are money. I mean, it all, you know, it kind of comes out in the wash. I mean, you can't, you know, it's hard to pay your mortgage with services. So, I mean, there's always going to sure. need to be some cash flow, obviously. Um, yep. But, yeah, if there's if there's a service or a product that you need and this other person has, and, yeah, like, I mean, what's the difference if you barter it or you got to just pay for it? And by paying for it, you need to book a trip anyway. So, you know, yeah. what's the what's the difference at that point? Um, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know. Uh, you know, and – and, you know, like, like I said, I mean, I've, my, when my brother and I, and Peter is his name, um, when Peter and I started, started the business, like we said, you know, we wanted to make it to where, you know, someone can, you know, if they have to save for a year to go on a decent hunt, that's great. But, you know, I know guys that have gone saved for years and paid 
you know, $20,000 for a doll sheep hunt in Alaska mm-hmm. and didn't come home with an animal. Yeah. Well, I think it's like five grand for like a caribou hunt. So, yeah. I mean, that's, no, that's five grand. That's half, you know, that's twice as much as this. And this seems more exotic. Yep. In my opinion. I mean, I have, I would like to do a caribou hunt too. There's not too many hunts out there that I don't want to do, but. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, I am not that millionaire that can just go off and do whatever hunt I want. Um, this sure. Is definitely Neither not am I. the case. Um, there, you do bighorn hunts down there. Or do they have a bighorn pop huntable the, bighorn population there is, down there? There's there's uh, Rocky Mountain bighorn and there's also desert bighorn here too. Okay. And those are, you know, that's the hardest tag to get drawn for in the yeah. state. I mean, there, you so, know, there's an area where they give out eight tags for the entire state. Is that one of those things like you need to start getting points when you were 16? Yeah, well, New Mexico doesn't have, we don't have preference points here. Oh, okay. So it's just luck of the draw. Yes. And, and I think they really do need to go to that because there's, there's New Mexico's they've, they've lost, lost some hunters because of that very reason. They started, they started putting in, um, you know, like in Arizona where you get points. Yeah. I think most, man, most states I think do run a point system, don't they? Yeah. Yep, I think they do, and New Mexico's one of the few that don't. Hmm. Is it that way for everything, too? Like even elk and all that? There's yep. no preference points? Yep. Just straight draw? Nope. Throw your nope. name in the hat? No preference points. Yep. Hmm. So, and like my, my dad, he's a he's a Lutheran pastor, and so I always think it's kind of divine intervention for him because he gets drawn every single year. <laughs> well, maybe there's some truth to that. So Crazy. I don't... I, I must not be living my life right enough because he gets drawn every year. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I haven't put in for a hunt for 10 years. I mean, I've just been too busy guiding everybody. And, and because of the whole, you know, coos deer thing this year, I just don't have access to any country with coos deer in it. So, you know, I put in this year and while I was doing that, I put in for, you know, several other species and I didn't get drawn for anything. And my dad gets drawn for two out of the four that he put in for. Crazy. And that coos deer, is that more Southern part of the state? Yeah, Get yeah, there they're Mexico. they're in the southern southern part of the Gila wilderness down to the Mexican border. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was more of a, a Mexican a Mexican thing. Yep. The gray ghost down there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one that I haven't killed yet, and I'd I'd sure like to. Got uh, it's just not not in an area where I've hunted much. Plenty of javelina down there. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, we actually saw on, on a on a one of the oryx hunts this year. We you know we kept seeing javelina run run in front of us. I still got to check one of those off the list too. Um, oh yeah, how's the how's the table fare on these Barbary sheep and ibex? It, it it's not bad. They're they're actually pretty good. Um, now the better of those more exotic ones, oryx is phenomenal. Really, it is. It is phenomenal meat. I mean, we, I, we, we had meals, you know, prepared uh, for you know orc hunts this year, and and we had guys were like, ah, let's go ahead and throw some orc backstrap on the grill, and so we'd grill, <laughs> grill backstrap instead of having, you know, the meals that we were already planning on eating. But I mean, it's it really orc is to me. It is every bit as good, if not better, than elk. Hmm. I'm 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 a foodie and I like a lot of different 
things, things that most people aren't brave enough to try. Um, right. So when it comes down to like, you know, the Barbary sheep or, you know, stuff like that, I'm like, well, I'm in, I want to try it. You know, I'm. Yep. You, you'll, if, uh, you, there's no reason why you wouldn't like it. Yeah. I mean, I like lamb and I know a lot of people don't like lamb cause it, you know, yep. the way it tastes and like, that's why I like it. Cause it has flavor to it. You know, I think yes. most people are so, people, people listen to this podcast so tired of me talking about, it, but I'm like, most things that we eat and buy at the store are bland. You know, like commercial True. beef doesn't taste that good. Chicken is bland. Pork is bland. And these are things, oh, I love that. You know what you love doing? You love cooking it, and then you add a bunch of flavor to it. Right. You make a sauce. <laughs> you yep, use ketchup. It's barbecue, A1 steak sauce, or, you know, whatever it is. Like, you have to impart flavor into this meat. And then you're like, oh, right. I love chicken. Well, you like other stuff that goes on chicken. You know really like chicken. better than you do the chicken yeah, yeah. i mean it doesn't taste yeah. like anything whereas for yeah. like me wild game venison you know it comes pre-packaged with flavor yes yes it's salt, almost perfect as, as salt it is and pepper on there and you're golden yep you know, you know there's, there's one there's one thing that i started doing too on you know if we've got an elk hunt going and somebody gets a uh gets an elk down like first day and we've still got another one or two to go um I'll get some juniper berries and preferably, you know, if I can find them where they're dried um, somewhat, um, dry them, you know, set them by, by the fire and dry them and kind of crack them and grind them up and use juniper berries as a seasoning on your elk steaks. And it's, to me, that is more of an acceptable seasoning because you got it yourself, you know, you dried it, you cracked it, and it's just as natural and organic as it gets. Did we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> like, like that is, oh, it's great. Yeah, because I, I do a lot of foraging, too. It's like anything I can go out and procure myself from the game to side dishes, you know, whether it's mushrooms or wild greens or berries yep. or anything like that, I'm all in on that. that yep. That is my style for sure. Yeah, I don't know when I'm gonna fit this into my busy schedule, Jerry. But I need to get down there. That's uh, that wall tent stuff sounds right up my alley. How many oh, how many guys in a group usually? Um, I like to keep it smaller. You know, I like to have no more than two, maybe three hunters. Okay. All right. Um, cause, cause usually, you know, it's me by myself, my brother, you know, he had in the past guided, you know, quite a bit with me and he's got younger kids than I've got. And so he's gotten fairly busy with them here in the last, you know, couple of years. But, um, I, it, it, and it depends on what you're hunting too. You know, it depends on the, on the game that we're going after. If, you know, antelope, I can accommodate, you know, more, um, but when you're when you're elk hunting, you know, or you know, what's back country kind of stuff, I like to keep it a little bit smaller. You know, I mean, the smaller the group, the the more personal it is for everybody. You know, and I like to, you know, visit and make friends with guys. And yeah. you know, it's not just about business. You know, for me and and there's guys that I've I've started you know guided you know for you know quite a long time ago, and you know we still you know, stay in touch and guys call me back for hunts and, and for, you know, 
the majority of the guys that I guide, they're, they're returning clients. Yeah, that that's that's the rewarding thing too. I get that for sure. Like I guide snow goose hunts in the spring, and I do honker hunts in the fall, and then I I, I guide fishing too. Um, mm-hmm. So it, yeah, th- those relationships that you you make over the years, when you start getting return clients, like that's just super rewarding. And then I mean, it gets to a point you're almost feel guilty taking their money because you are like friends. You know, yeah. Like, but you do have to keep in mind. I, I don't have to tell you this, but it's like, well, this is my job. Like, yeah. You know, no, yep. Just because I know a guy that owns a gas station, he ain't giving me free Phillips. So, right. You know, yeah. Like, That's true. That's true. You know, and and it's it's you're you're exactly right. I mean, you you kind of forge those relationships, and it is a business. You know, I mean, this is you know, it's how I make my living. I mean, you know, I make I make seventy five percent of the money, you know, that I make in a year's time in about 12 weeks. Right. And, you know, so you do have to make that money, but you still forge those relationships and they can end up, you know, kind of being, you know, long-term. And when you're getting returned clients, to me, it shows that you're doing something right. If people want to come back. Oh, for sure. You know, or if they say, man, we had one hell of an orcs hunt. Hey, I want to come out and, you know, let's go antelope hunting or let's go mule deer hunting. You know, I mean, they want to try different, you know, different species. You know, I have guys that want to hunt the same thing year in and year out. You know, they call me every year for the same, same exact animals. And I'm like, why don't you just kind of broaden your horizons a little (laughs) bit, man? Let's, let's go on a sheep hunt. Yeah. You know, it's, let's test your metal a little bit. You know, let's, let's kind of see what you've got. I know you can shoot an antelope. I know you can shoot a mule deer. Let's, let's get up to the hills and the cliffs and see how you can do on a sheep. So, but I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're exactly right that well, I think, it is a business. Yeah. And I think know. those, I th- yeah, well, I mean, it is, but I think those bonds too, in kind of that backcountry wall tent, especially a small group, like you're talking about, it's one guy, you know, two guys and you, and you, you're at that fire and you got nothing to do, but talk to each other. And then you're now you're tapping into this kind of primal, you know, some genetic memory kind of stuff where it's like this is how our ancestors did it back in the day. You know, you yeah. have this shared struggle, this tough terrain, it's challenging game, and then you know whether it's success or failure, you're all back at that fire, just sharing that experience. How do you not form a, a tight bond in that situation? Well, yeah, and it's it's much more of a real bond than if you're sharing a dinner together at Applebee's. Oh God, you know, not even because comparable. you know you can you can fake your way, you know, through a dinner with friends, but you, it's hard to fake it out in the backcountry. You know, you're gonna sure. see you, you're gonna see the real the real personalities of people. You're going to see the real quirks of people. You're going to see, you know, the, the, the personality that you may not necessarily see in a different setting. You're going to see what pisses the guy off. You know, you're going to see what makes the guy happy. You're going to see just how long he can go. And if, you know, his hunting days that he liked to talk about are, you know, accurate or not, you know, it's, pretty easy to tell right off the bat whether someone you know is a hunter or not 
So, but, but you do, I mean, you, you, you get to see kind of the real, the real person when you're in the back country in a wall tent. Yeah. I got to assume there's fire. not much for cell coverage out there either. So if you're used to being distracted by a uh, Facebook, yep. Facebook or TikTok, you're out of luck. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, and it's funny is I, I, I love not being able, you know, people not being able to get a hold of me when I'm out hunting. But I have kids that, you know, I, and that's the only reason that I keep my, my phone close to me the majority of the time is if one of my kids needs something. So, I mean, that's, that's the hardest part is if I had to have someone get a hold of me, there's a pretty slim chance they can. Um, but there, especially, you know, in, in the areas where I go, I know the perfect spot to lean, you know, into this tree or cactus to get the right, you know, cell signal. So, right. That's pretty cool. Well, Jared, but there's not much for distraction. So your time, we've got an hour and a half. This has been an awesome conversation. We should definitely do it again. I need to, and we should do it in person while I'm down there on a hunt. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think that'd be the best way to do it. Dude, I got a nice little portable unit I could bring with me, bring some batteries, campfire, maybe an adult Perfect. beverage, stars, countless stars. In the, oh, yeah. It's the land of enchantment, isn't it? Isn't that what they call New Mexico? It, it is. It is the land of enchantment. You might even, on the right night, might be able to hear some wolves howling. And... That'd be pretty sweet. The coyote, yeah. the song dog's going off if you're in the prairies, the coyotes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, coyote, well, you'll hear the coyotes guaranteed. That's, that's a that's for a, sure that's thing. An, Isn't that yeah, like your state sure animal? Thing. Down there? Yeah, yeah. They're 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 such a nuisance, but you'll you definitely hear them. So yeah, you need to, you know, and and that's the one thing that I really like about the Barbary sheep hunt is you can do it all year. So on the off season when you're not hunting something else or you know in between fishing trips or whatever, there's always a big game animal that you can hunt in New Mexico. Yeah, that's. That's pretty appealing. So for those, I know there's a few people like even here in Minnesota, like it's weird to me, but they don't fish. All they do is hunt. And so they have their fall. And then when that's done, I don't even know what they do with their time. And like, how do you like, li- like how, what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> like, how do you live in Minnesota and not fish? I don't know, but I actually know a handful of people, and they're always a specialist. Like, I know some goose hunting guys, and that's like all they do. But I also know some people that all they really do they they hunt deer. That's yeah. it, or they're big bow hunters, and that you know, I mean, at least bow hunting huh. you have a long season from September through December. Yeah, but the gun guys like they get their two weeks and and that's it. And that's pretty much all they do. Maybe they go on like a pheasant hunt once or twice a year, but even that you're done, you know, in first week of January or whatever. So it's like, what do you do the rest of the time? So for those people, if you're listening to this, you're, you're a hunter. Well, now you got go, go on a hunt in New Mexico in the spring when you got nothing better to do. Break up that time. That's right. I mean that's yeah. that was I was hoping to be able to do that in um uh, this past April but it just didn't didn't work out. Um Yep. Well, time. you can come anytime. I mean, like I said, really, you can come anytime. Um I I I want to try to get up there too. I've got a a a real close cousin of mine, uh, Jeremiah Peepcorn that 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 name may ring some bells to some of your listeners up there. He, he played pro ball, played for the uh 
FM Redhawks, and um, he is he's really one of the best outdoorsmen that I know. Um, as far as you know, deer hunting up there, nobody better. Um, but he is also a hell of a fisherman, and he loves to musky fish. And he bugs me all the time to come up there and go fishing with him. So I may, I, I'm, I'm going to go up there this summer and work on some deer stands and stuff on our place up there. And, um, he'll, I'll have to have him take me out fishing and maybe I'll hit you up when I'm up that oh, way. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Get a hold of me when you're in town. Um, heck, I come up and, and meet, meet him too. And he sounds like he's got some stories. Oh yeah. Share yeah. A few adult beverages and, uh. I just let the recorder burn. That could be really good. Yeah, we can talk about the old days. You know, it's funny. Before I uh, I went to college on a rodeo scholarship, and I rode bulls in college and went pro and, you know, the two-time. That's you know, not something you hear every day. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm a two-time. No. Two-time world champ. And, and it, it becomes, when you do something at that high of a level for as long as I did, it you know, becomes your identity. And when I quit, when I started, you know, I got married and had kids and, and when you quit that, that life, you know, when you quit, you kind of leave that identity behind, you know, you almost fall into a, you know, a little bit of an identity crisis. And so you kind of figure out what it is that I'm all about. Well, it's hunting. That's become my new kind of identity is, you know, other than, you know, being a, a parent and, you know, and it's, uh, you kind of quickly regain a little bit of that sense of, um, you know, accomplishment when you, you know, when, you know, something like, you know, hunting, especially, you know, guiding becomes, you know, that new kind of new formed identity for you. And, um, Jeremiah is kind of the same way, you know, after being a baseball player and, and he's, you know, I, I would know him almost more now as a, as a hunter than and hunt, you know, and fisherman than than a ball player. I mean, we have lots in common as far as that kind of you know stuff goes, and, you know, identity wise. So, yeah, I'm sure the the three of us would would all get along <laughs> I'm thinking, famously. I'm and, like ball players and bull riders. Oh, there's some stories. <laughs> there are yeah. some stories that I need to be. I need to hear. <laughs> yeah, you might get privy to some of them that may not necessarily be appropriate for the podcast. But. <laughs> well, fortunately for you, this podcast has no limits. You have to, you'd have to hear some of our, I do a thing called a flight companion, um, which is a blatant rip off of Joe Rogan's fight companion. But it's uh you know, I get a panel of guys, there's four of us. Each person brings a beer. Sometimes we do it at an actual brewery. And if I, if, if it works out, like I'll have the brewmaster sit in. I really like that. That's sure. like getting the breakdown of the beers, but if not, then we'll just, you know, meet at my house or somebody else's house and everybody brings a different beer to try out, you know, and we'll try one and we'll all give our opinions on that beer. And then in between drinks, it's just whatever we talk about. There, there's no, like, yeah. subject matter. It's just – and you can imagine after, you know, and some of these – I've had some go almost five hours. Wow. So towards the, towards the end of it, you know, lips are getting a little loose – language is flying and it's like it's yeah you know i know it's not for every listener out there it might be a little bit more reserved a little more conservative but to me it's a realistic representation of what happens when 
good friends that share the outdoors get together and this is what happens this is the conversation that springs up and that's exactly what i wanted to capture when i started this podcast and so i I really love doing that so you'll never have to worry about offending me (laughs) that's pretty much impossible uh if it's a funny story i don't care how racy it is i want to hear it so well, I'll save a few good ones for you then. Oh, I like it. I look forward to it. Yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely. give me a heads up when you're coming to town. I will clear yeah, my schedule. Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, well, Jared, let everybody know where they can find you, all your social medias, phone numbers, all that stuff. Yep, Wing River Outfitters, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're still working on building our website. Uh, hopefully have that done soon. Uh, my number is 575 575- Six nine three three seven one zero. If I don't answer, you can leave me a message, send me a text, and I'll get back to anybody and everybody who wants to get a hold of me. Awesome, man! I really appreciate you taking some time out. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to talking with you again. Oh, good! I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.